listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. Before we dive into the text this morning, I mentioned last week about um, our year-end offering, and we're entitling it Give Hope. I want to take just a minute and share uh, with you a little bit about what we're trying uh, to do with that. Um, we have a, a very unique opportunity here as a church um, to basically uh, take our resources and invest them in others, but it then gives us the opportunity for us to experience a spiritual return on that investment. Um, most of you know uh, Keith and Rachel and their family, and Keith is sitting here right in front of me um, this morning. What we're trying to do uh, between now and the end of the year is to raise $30,000 to um, begin uh, this month and the following months until the Lord uh, shows us a different direction or shows them a different direction to provide a measure of support for Keith and Rachel. Um, they've just secured a rental house. Where they've been living is with Keith's dad um, in an 800-square-foot house with uh, Keith and Rachel and, um, and Luke and um, Eli um, and his dad, Keith's dad. His dad, of course, decided he would move out to the camper when cold season um, broke in. And so um, we want to put them in somewhere that they can live. They are going to be here, they know, at least through the end of uh, May until Luke is out of school. It would be our hope that they would be here for longer than that. That's my prayer. I've known Keith for years now. I guess it's been close to five years, Keith, and uh, I've been able to meet with Keith on a weekly basis when he was in Prague. Keith is a missionary to Prague, for those of you that don't know. Um, very unique ministry in trying to reach lost people. I was able to experience uh, just through Keith's dialogue with me about his dialogue with uh, one of his brothers in Prague and communicating with a couple of other people in different places in the world that didn't know Christ, but they're spending time trying to have conversations evangelistically. Keith also has been strategic in the relationships of missionaries, particularly when there seemed to be trouble in the mission community, able to go in and use, um, as Liam Neeson would say, his unique set of gifts um, in that missionary community to bring uh, peace and hope and strength. Um, Keith has also been working with many people already in our body for, uh, for no charge, for nothing in return, but the opportunity to serve and engage in the lives of others. And many people in this room and many people in McDonald would be able to stand up if I were to ask them to stand to say, um, how many of you have been served and helped by Keith and Rachel? They both have been meeting with people um, in our body, meeting with families, meeting with ladies, meeting with men. Um, and so what we want to do is we want to raise some resources to support them beginning the year, um, but also give them the opportunity to serve our body in a, in a greater way. Um, Keith's uh, emphasis is in spiritual formation or soul care. I personally have been a benefactor. Again, uh, I meet with a group of guys every Wednesday with Keith, and we have been benefactors of Ronnie's back here shaking his head and um, um, benefactors of what the Lord is doing through Keith and Rachel. And so um, Give Hope is simply you giving to help us give these folks an opportunity to use their gifts 
here in this body. They've been with us for a long time. They've proven not only their love for the Lord, um, they've proven not only their character, but they've proven um, their commitment to us as a people. Uh, when Keith came back from the mission field, I kept saying, man, what would it be like if we could in some way work together? He said, well, just use me. Um, well, what do, what do we need to do for you for that? Just use me. Just give me something to do. Let me serve. That's been their heart. Um, now they recognize they uh, needed to find some space, a little bit of elbow room, um, and maybe, you know, a, a shower and a, a bathroom and a bed to sleep on. Luke will be glad to get off of the sofa that he's been on for I don't know how many months. Um, but, but we want to continue to support uh, Keith and Rachel and their family and also be the benefactors of soul care through our life groups, through our DNA, and through our individual interactions in this body. So uh, I'm asking you to give, and I'm asking you to give um, sacrificially as we close out this year um, so that we can um, bring these folks on board. And we don't know exactly what at this moment. We haven't defined that, but there is a measure of trust to say we want to be in this relationship with them. If you don't know them before you leave today, take the time to at least speak to Keith and Rachel. They're amazing folks uh, that have made a difference in a lot of people's lives. So um, Isaiah chapter 9, if you will, this morning. Uh, we're talking, last week we talked about hope, and we looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And today we want to talk about peace. Um, just by way of introduction, let me say a few things about peace. Every single one of us in this room wants peace. Every single one of us in this room wants peace. Secondly, we all think that we know what would bring us peace. And to be honest, it isn't Jesus. Right? Yeah, 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 Jesus, okay, fine. But what about my marriage? What about my wayward child? What about my sickness? Right? What, what about the things that are going on in my brain? What about the things that are going on in my heart? Man, if this could just be paid for, if I just had this, if I would only get this for Christmas, if this person would only act this way, if this person would ask for forgiveness, if this person would give forgiveness, if they just hadn't have done that, there would be peace. We all think that we know what would bring us peace. Every one of us does. And we don't think it's Jesus. Thirdly, none of us has peace. None of us has real peace. In the depth of our soul, peace apart from Jesus Christ. There is no peace apart from Him. So, we're talking about peace. As we look in the text, the word in the text that we're going to look at, Prince of Peace, is shalom. What is shalom? A lot of different definitions for shalom. It means to make something whole, complete, satisfied internally, in the depth of our soul. To be whole, to be complete, to be satisfied inside, in the depth of our being. It, it, it is an awareness in the depth of our soul that everything is okay with everything that really matters. It is an awareness in the depth of our soul that everything is okay with everything that 
really matters. The world may be falling apart. My life may be falling apart. My family may be falling apart. My health may be falling apart. My body may be falling apart. Everything in my sphere of existence may be completely unraveling, but there is a peace at the deepest level of my being, and there is something speaking to me that is convincing me that everything that really matters is really okay, and that is shalom. That is peace. And every one of us wants it. And every one of us is pushing buttons and pulling levers and manipulating people and circumstances or maybe ingesting substances or maybe looking at things on screens that we think somehow is going to bring us peace. I hate to say it, but probably the most peaceful I've ever felt was the first time I ever took hydrocodone. Uh, my mind is usually just like if you've ever seen a screen and everything was confused and you couldn't figure it out. That's what just goes on in my mind all the time. And I took that pill when I had surgery. And it's like everything. Like what in the world? After the surgery, I got in the car and I told my wife 1,000 times before we got home, I love you. I love you so much. I love you. I'm sure she got tired of hearing it. Everything was so peaceful. That lasted about three days, right? Some of you have been there. About the third day, I was mad at everybody. Because that really wasn't a real source of peace in the depth of my soul. Where can I find this peace? Isaiah talks about peace a lot. But he, but he gives us this very clear passage that is related to Advent, the first coming of Christ in Isaiah chapter 9. And I want to read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7 for you this morning. And then I want to go back and grab Isaiah 53 because it brings in the concept of peace. Isaiah 9, 1 to 7. But there will be no gloom. Now, what he's doing is he's... Basically, let me give you a little context. Basically, Isaiah chapter 7 verse 1 to uh, uh, chapter 9 verse 7 is just one block of thought. And what's happened in Isaiah chapter 6 is uh, Uzziah was the king. You remember Isaiah 6, Isaiah um, went into the temple and he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple and he fell down before the Lord and and, you know, that whole passage about here, my sin, me. He was in the temple because everything was great until Uzziah died. And then, then Israel was going to be in a mess. I don't know if you're a Democrat or a Republican, but I remember in the 1970s when um, Richard Nixon was the president and everything was in upheaval. And then Jimmy Carter, you know, the born-again president, Sorry, Georgia people. I didn't live at the, in Georgia at the time. But it was a really difficult time in a lot of people's lives because of the, the leadership of, of the government. And then Ronald Reagan became president. And it's like, Jesus has come, right? And eight years of just perfect harmony in the history. That's my opinion, right? 
That's not your opinion. This is what's going on, though, right? We, we go through this phase, and everybody loves this president, or everybody hates this president. We go through this phase. Everything's falling apart. Gas prices are going to go up to $5 a gallon. You're not going to be able to pay for energy. You're going to have to chop down the trees in your yard to put them in the fireplace. If you've got a fireplace to have heat, heat this winter, I mean, inflation's going through the roof. What in the world's going on? The world's in a mess. What are we going to do? This is what was going on here as Isaiah's writing. Uzziah had died, and, and it's going to be bad because all of the invading armies are coming in. You know, China's coming in. Russia's coming in. People are coming down, crossing the border with, um, you know, with COVID-19. What are we going to do? He begins writing in chapter 7, and we learn about not only Uzziah, but Uzziah's son, Ahaz, when Ahaz comes to the throne, the glory of the kingdom is gone. The peace of the kingdom is gone. Life as they knew it is now threatened. And they're wondering, what are we going to do? Are we going to be enslaved? Are we going to be oppressed? Our world is going to be shattered. So what they thought was a good world has now become a bad world and they're without hope in this world. And when we come to Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah is writing prophetically pointing to Christ who is coming. A better day is coming. Peace is coming. All of these governmental issues are going to get worked out. They may not get worked out in your lifetime, but a day is coming when everything that is wrong is going to be made right, and he's writing about it here in Isaiah chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee, and the nations. The people who walked in darkness, there are these people walking in darkness, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Things were bad. Things are going to get better. Why? How? For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with injustice, with justice and righteousness from this time forth forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We see in the text the absence of peace, but then we see the presence of peace, the powerful presence of peace. Where does this peace come from? I want you to go to Isaiah 53. This just jumped off the page at me this morning in verse number 6. He says in Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him 
the iniquity of us all. It was our iniquity that was laid on Christ. And when our iniquity was laid on Him, we experienced His peace when we rest in what He has done. Okay, hold on. I missed my verse. Verse 5. Go back to verse 5. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Listen to this. Upon him, the chastisement. Upon him was the chastisement. This is weird. Upon him, this son, right? This child, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. That is amazing. The picture is that of a suffering servant who was chastised, who we, our sin was put on him, and because our sin was put on him and he died in our place for our sin, we experienced peace. And I would take away from that and from Isaiah 9, real peace is relational peace, and it's only found in a covenant relationship with the holy God through the finished work of the Prince of Peace. Real peace is relational peace. Real peace is not circumstantial peace. Real peace is not circumstantial peace. Real peace is not you manipulating everybody else to co cooperate with your strategies. If you could just get them to do this, if you could get them to see this. Real peace, real peace is relational peace. And it's only found in a covenant relationship with a holy God through the finished work of the Prince of Peace. There is this internal longing for peace that was integral to creation. I use the word integral strategically. There, 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 there was this, this peace this internal longing for peace that it was experienced, that was integrated into the experience of Adam and Eve in the soul of our original parents in the Garden of Eden. They were experiencing peace. The peace that they experienced is the longing for peace that all of us has. The peace that they experienced was peace with God. Peace of God, peace from relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But let us understand that peace was lost in the fall. But that peace that was lost in the fall is longed for by all of humanity. It is sought for in inadequate, life-destroying substitutes and is only satisfied when we enter into the fellowship of the Trinity through the finished work of Christ. Every one of us is longing for peace. Every one of us is looking for peace in all the wrong places, in all sorts of inadequate substitutes that don't give life or peace but destroy life and peace. The only place that we can find peace is in relationship and in fellowship with Jesus Christ. Peace can only come through a person, and the only person that brings peace is Jesus Christ. So let me just break the passage down briefly for you. First of all, we see the absence of peace. The absence of peace is nothing new. If, if you go to Genesis 3, the first thing we see right out of the chute is Adam and Eve aren't getting along because of sin. The next thing we see in Genesis 4 is Cain and Abel aren't getting along. There is no relational peace. 
the next thing you know, we find ourselves with an entire planet filled with people who have no peace, and God tells Noah to build an ark. Then we go to this tower where people are going to build their way to God, and the languages are confounded, and there is no peace. We see Abraham come on the scene, and we know that Abraham is a man whose life was filled with conflict. There was never, it seems, any peace. And then Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Abraham also had a son named Ishmael. And we know the end of that story that hasn't ended. There is no peace. We know that there, there were uh, two sons, Esau and Jacob. And between Esau and Jacob, there was no peace. And we know that Jacob's 11 sons... Between them and Joseph, there was no peace. We know that Israel was in Egypt and there was no peace. We know that Israel moved in to overtake the promised land by violence and murder and there was no peace. And we get to the book of Judges and it is just this cycle of violence and relational breakdown and sin and there was no peace. And finally Saul became king and there was no peace. And David became king and there was no peace. And Solomon became king and what looked like peace really wasn't peace because Solomon had no peace in his heart. We know that Israel divided into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. All the way throughout the Old Testament, there is no peace. Even when we come to the coming of Christ, and I was reading the amazing story as we do our Advent readings at night. We, we, uh, J- uh, John Piper talked about the, the little people, Joseph and Mary and uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And how they had gone through 400 years of silence and now, shocker, God is speaking in very unique ways. There is this absence of peace because there is this absence of the voice of God and there is this absence of the presence of God. No, no peace. And and this absence of peace is defined as or described as walking in darkness, living in perpetual darkness. Darkness, living under the constant threat of darkness. He said, those who are living in perpetual darkness, all that they have known as darkness, have seen a great light. God, the creator, says, let there be light. And there was light, but darkness fell in Genesis 3. Darkness is not only a product of the man-driven systems of the world. Darkness is within us. Our hearts are darkened. We are alienated from the life of God. And we can't see. We are in the dark because we are sinners. If you haven't come to Christ, you're in darkness. I don't care what religious system you say you believe in. If you haven't come to Christ, you are in darkness. But he tells us in the text that light has come. A great light has come from heaven to earth. From God to me, I would say this about darkness, and this is where we struggle because we're proud people. We don't like to have our shame exposed. We don't like to say that we're wrong. Until we embrace darkness, we will never see light. Until we embrace the reality of the, the, the absence of peace, we will never look someplace else, the right place for peace. Until we come to grips with the source of our peacelessness. You see, the source of our peacelessness is not everything around us. The source of our peacelessness is everything 
within us. And until we come to grips with the source of our peacelessness, we will never see light. I think one of our greatest problems is uh, just a complete lack of self-awareness. A complete lack of self-awareness. Um, I, I, would, I would just encourage you, if you find yourself in, uh, in, a, in a, a circle where everybody's talking about everybody else and what everybody else has done and what everybody else's problems are, you, you, uh, you, you need to go ahead and just somebody ring the bell, somebody sound the alarm. You are in the presence of a group of people that are completely unaware. They lack self-awareness. We lack self-awareness. We were sitting in DNA, and, and uh, Ronnie, I can tell on you if you don't mind. Of course, those things are supposed to be. I just woke him up. Where, where were you, brother? Brother? And Ronnie was telling us a story about some things that happened in his house one, at his house one day and how just the things on the inside of him. I won't go into details, Ronnie, okay? How some things just kind of just, just kind of started winding tighter and winding tighter and winding tighter. And he finally decided that he was going to get out and, and run. And he was going to run five miles. He ran five miles, five, eight and a half minute miles. That's, that's pretty good. Um, <laughs> But while he was running, he asked himself this question. Why am I feeling this way? What's going on inside of me? What's going on inside of me? Oh, no, no, no. If, if my wife would just behave, everything would be okay, right? If my son would just behave, everything would be okay. If the Labrador Retriever would just behave, everything would be okay. No, no. What's going on inside of me? Folks, and, and, and there are these people that are in darkness, and they think everything's okay. They're completely unaware that they're in darkness. And there are these folks that have no peace, and they're completely unaware that the darkness is shining, or the darkness is felt, the weight of the darkness is felt at its greatest level inside of my heart and the peacelessness that's going on is a source is is sourced in the the seed of it is all growing out of what's going on in my heart so we need that self-awareness the self-awareness to say man things there is darkness but it's spiritual darkness and there's peacelessness and it's a spiritual peacelessness but he says the light is coming that peace is coming and when the light comes, all that is in the darkness will be exposed. When peace comes, there won't be this turmoil in our interior world. So there is the, the absence of peace. I, I would love for you to recognize today that apart from Jesus Christ, apart from your heart being transformed, you are in darkness today. Your, your mind, your heart, your emotions, your relationships are in darkness darkness and I would invite you to come into the light and I would also ask you to have a self-awareness today to recognize that everything around you although if you could manipulate it if you could win the lottery and buy your way out of every situation that you're in you wouldn't have peace until Christ changes your heart and you're in relationship with the holy God that relationship that was broken in the fall until that is made right you will never have peace peace is an inside job the absence of peace but then he moves us quickly to the promise of peace. He says, for unto us 
unto us, to us as people, relationally. A child is born. A human being is born. Peace will come through a person, and the only person that can bring peace is Jesus. He's telling us that a human being is going to be born. Someone will give birth to a human being. We're told in Isaiah 7, 14, that a virgin will bring forth a child. Whoever this is that brings peace will be coming in human flesh. God is sending his son to be born of a virgin so that God can be revealed to man so that man can come face to face with holy God. So that the one who is human can be made the perfect sacrifice to die for humanity. God became a man so that he could live perfectly as a man and die for men as the perfect sacrifice. And this satisfies the righteous requirements of a holy God. I guess if we could simplify it, we could say that Jesus Christ left heaven, came to earth, robed himself in flesh so that he could show the Father to us, so that he could relate to us, so that he could go to a cross and die and pay for our sin and defeat sin through his resurrection so that he could bring us to the Father so that we could be in a relationship with the Father. He was not a spirit. He was not merely a man. He was the God-man. He was God in human form. He was God in flesh. And he came that way so that he could identify and relate to us. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So here is the hypostatic union. Here is his full humanity and his full divinity. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government, thank God, the government will be upon his shoulder. He will have full and complete authority. Authority is not a bad thing unless bad people are in authority. Authority is a good thing. I know we've come through an entire phase where uh, my generation started rebelling against everything. We hated all authority, and now it's just commonplace for us to say, authority is bad. You can't tell me what to do. Nobody's going to rule over me. It, it, you know, it's, it's, it's my body. It's whatever I want to do. I am just this, this individual unit that is in complete control of myself. One is coming who will have and who already has full and complete authority. Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me on heaven, uh, give, given to me in heaven and on earth. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And unlike uh, Ahaz, who was the bad king at the time, this king, King Jesus, will not be weak or conquerable. He will not compromise or capitulate. He will not... Uh, be rebelled against or defied. He will submit to no one. He will fear no one. He will not sell out the nation for the sake of his own personal gain as Ahaz did. This text is comparing this bad king, this temporary king that's ruined the nation to this good king that is coming. There is no kingdom that is greater than this kingdom that this king will rule over. And then he gives us his name. His name is Wonderful Counselor, One entity, one concept there. Wonderful counselor means that he is unpanicked, that he is an uncounseled counselor, unlike Ahaz who is seeking counsel from 
everybody. He seeks the counsel of none, but offers, listen to this, he offers, he offers healing counsel to all who will listen. I'm not sure what's going on inside of you or going on in your life this morning, but I want to tell you there is a wonderful counselor who offers healing counsel to all who will listen. We talked last week about the, the, not last week, but the week before in Luke 8. The heart that is prepared for the seed. There's nothing wrong with the seed. The seed is always good. It's placed into the soil. What's going on in the heart? What's going on in your heart? Are you willing to listen to counsel, to the good counsel of this wonderful counselor? Listen, listen to this upside-down way of counseling. His counsel is not for us to be proud and arrogant and powerful, but to be humble. Now, who needs that? His counsel is not for us to be strong, but to be weak. His counsel is not for us to be victorious, but to surrender. His counsel to us is to say there is True life in death, not vice versa. His counsel says generosity is superior to acquisition. His counsel is that the last will be first. His counsel is to forsake all, deny self, and follow Him. His counsel is don't live for this world, but live for the world to come. That's good counsel. Again, we've intermingled prosperity gospel with those who say we believe the Bible but our message doesn't sound anything like the message of this wonderful counsel this this is good counsel he's wonderful counselor he's mighty God he's not like Ahaz who was powerless he was all-powerful. He was sovereign. He was the all-powerful God. And, and I love this phrase. I, I, I can't get past this phrase. I, uh, last Christmas or Christmas before, I sat before one of my dearest friends in the world and listened to him preach through this passage, except he took about eight weeks to go through this passage. And he just preached one Sunday on everlasting Father. Who is this king that is coming? He is everlasting Father. I love the otherness of it, and I love the intimacy of it. This is, this is who he reveals himself to be. This is his self-revelation, and he's telling us that there is this family relationship. I am your father. There is this intimate relationship. There is this loving relationship, everlasting father, eternal father. He tells us that he's certainly... Uh, um, this, this ruler, this great king, but he's also a father figure that loves and cares and leads his people. Ahaz was anything but a father, and he certainly wasn't eternal. He assumed the throne at age 20 and reigned for 16 years. But he's telling us there is one who is coming whose kingdom will be unending, whose kingdom will be indomitable, whose kingdom will be unthreatened. But this one who has got such great power and such great prominence will be a loving father to his people. And we need to hear that. We need to see that. 
I don't know if you've struggled this week with anything. I don't know if you've struggled this week with sin. Maybe, maybe there are two or three people in here besides me that have just struggled with sin this week. And there's a voice in my head when I struggle with sin that tells me I'm fixing to get crushed, that I'm fixing to get punished, that something bad's going to happen, and it's going to be my fault. <laughs> I'm just wondering how good I thought I was <laughs> before I thought I sinned. Think about it. If you think, I did this, and now something bad's going to happen, as though I wasn't doing anything before to generate any kind of negative response from this ogre of a God sitting in heaven with a club that's going to knock me over the head with it every time something goes wrong. That's the voice of the enemy. That's the accuser of the brethren that's coming to us and lying to us. And there is, there is an everlasting father, and I love, I cannot get over it. I talk about it a lot, the prodigal son. I love the picture of the prodigal son who, when the father sees him, the, father, the prodigal son hasn't said anything to the father. He hasn't confessed anything to the father. He's, re, he's repented of some things in his heart. He changed some things in his heart. He's headed back home. The father sees him, and the father sees him afar off and runs out and greets him and walks him back through the people in the city that are ready, ready to throw rocks at him because they know what he did to his dad. And he brings him up to the house. This is this, is this everlasting father. Do you know him? Are you here today to check a box? Are you reading your Bible because you think something bad's going to happen to you if you don't? I love, I love the picture of the everlasting Father. Abba, Father. Papa, Father. Papa, God. I think we need to stop there for a second. I think we need to let that soak in for a second. We, we can probably compare notes on fathers in the room today. And most of those stories would not be good stories. They'd be troubling stories. They'd be painful stories. Some of them would be good, praise God. But there is a better father. And he left heaven and he came to earth and he robed himself in human flesh. And he stood in front of human beings eyeball to eyeball, skin to skin, touch to touch healing people everywhere he went, just, just gushing with the love of the Father so that you and I as human beings might see the Father. And he's saying that he is sending his Son and he will be an everlasting Father. He will be the Prince of Peace, a powerful, loving Prince who not only wants peace and has done everything necessary to bring peace, but he is the personification of peace. Wherever Jesus is peace is when he says peace what is he talking about he's talking about peace between god and man he's talking about peace between man and man where christ rules peace is god's answer to everything that terrorizes us is in a child god's answer to everything that we are fearful of is in a child this is crazy 
This, this is what makes us a weird group of people as Christians. God's answer to everything that has us so discombobulated on the inside is this baby, Jesus. Whether it is sin or shame or brokenness or conflict or war, God's power is superior. And he's saying to Israel, God's power is superior to the uh, Assyrians. And this God of power is going to bring peace. God's power is superior to any nation that you can imagine or any gang that you can imagine. God's power is superior. And he is the one who brings peace. He has come to bring peace. Peace can only come through a person. The only person that brings peace is Jesus Christ. And then finally this morning, I want you to see the people of peace. And I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 13 to 19. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Peace will never be found in isolation. There is something inside of all of us that longs to be brought near, that longs to be on the inside, that longs to feel like we're included, that longs to feel like we're connected. And we don't feel that. The, the beauty of the body of Christ should be that there is this supernatural connection that we find with other believers like we find in no other place. And the peace that should exist between us is not a, a peace that is found because everything's perfect. It's a peace that is found because Christ is perfect and we rest our hope in Him. We don't rest our hope in somebody never offending us. We don't rest our hope in somebody never disappointing us. We don't rest our hope in somebody never doing us wrong. We rest our hope in Christ who came and lived and died and has borne our offenses and has removed the barriers that are between us and those that we offend or those that have offended us. And there is this supernatural peace that exists and we're able to draw near, not because we have everything in common, not because we all like Alabama football, right? There's something bigger than that. It's because Christ lives within us. And so the differences are there, but they're put in a place that don't come between us relationally so that we're able to have peace because we've got peace with Him. But now in Christ Jesus, you, were, you, you who were once far off have been brought near. I want to be brought near. I know what it feels like to feel like I'm far off and I'm disconnected. And I'm not included and I'm not wanted. I know what it feels like to feel that way and to try to earn it myself. 
I'll show them I'll be good enough. I'll perform well enough. I'll figure out how to please people good enough. If you're tired of feeling far off, come to Christ. And if you really want to feel near, commit yourself to being in Christ and letting Christ be the energy and the source of life in our community. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Hey, let me ask you a question. How can you say you believe the gospel? When Christ broke down in his flesh, that's the gospel, the dividing wall of hostility. How can you say you believe the gospel when you allow a wall of hostility to exist between you and anybody else? <laughs> Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection, knocked down the wall of hostility. And we're over there like, all right, where does this brick go? Where does this brick go? Where does this brick go? We're trying to rebuild it. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility the hostility between us and God, the hostility between us and each other. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. He preached it to the Gentiles. He preached it to the Jews. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are to be the people of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. There should be peace in our hearts. There should be peace in our relationships. There should be peace in our families. There should be peace with our enemies. That's all in the Bible. There should be peace in chaos and brokenness. I love what Isaiah did in Isaiah 55. And I'm, I'm going to read this and, and then I'll, I'll try to close. Go to Isaiah 55. I want to read the whole chapter. It's brief, but you can't miss it. <clears throat> Isaiah spoke to a people whose lives were just all messed up, who had no hope, who had no peace. He tells them that hope is coming in a baby. Peace is coming in a baby. It's going to happen in the future. It was hundreds of years before Christ was born. But listen to what he said. And this is where we are because Jesus Christ is coming back. And I don't know about you, but the longer I live, the more I hope that he's coming back. And the more that I look at the news, the more I hope that he's coming back. And when I begin to wonder just how messed up things can be, I'm like, Lord Jesus, please come back soon. Please come back soon. But until then, what do we do? Listen to Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, 
every one of us thirsts to be brought near. Every one of us thirsts for peace. Every one of us thirsts for hope. It was in us in creation. We long for peace. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. just flowing. Can, can, we, can we just stop and soak in that for a second? Just, just stop for a second. I, I don't know what you're drinking today or what well you're drinking from, but there is a, there is a, a, a this flowing, this flowing, this good, and, and watch this, you don't have to pay an entry fee. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? He's, he's challenging God's people. He's, he's basically telling them, I'm going to read the whole chapter. He's basically telling them, realize that your only solution is to return to me. I have everything you need. I want to restore you, and I want to use you to lead others to the Prince of Peace. Listen to that as he reads verse 3. Incline your ear, come to me, hear, that your soul may live. Again, that goes in lockstep with Luke chapter 8. You receive the truth, you'll get more of the truth. Your heart receives the seed of the truth, more truth will come to you. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul, your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, He has, for He has glorified you. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man His thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that He may have compassion on him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return, but there water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but, but it shall accomplish what I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Which, let, me, let me just reduce it down. If, if you're not in love with this Lord, this God, this Savior, this Prince, this King, and if you're not listening to Him, you've got a real problem. That's what he's saying. His word is going to do everything that he says it's going to do. How dare we say, I don't care what his words. How dare we say, I don't care who, what this communication is or who this is that is communicating to me. I'm going to do things my own way. I'm going to live my way. I'm going to live in my own power, my own energy. Verse 12, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. It's interesting how you can talk to one person who sees the same thing that another person sees. 
their eyeballs looked at the very same thing and they walk away seeing two completely different things. It's interesting how when there is peace and joy in somebody's heart that it changes how everything around them looks and that where there is darkness and peacelessness in somebody's heart that it changes everything around them. And there's where we go back to the self-awareness. Can we take a minute and say, what's going on inside of me? What's going on inside of me? What's happening inside of me? For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. <laughs> and when you are, the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Pursue peace. Be thirsty and quench that thirst in Christ and Christ alone. We will never know peace until we admit that it is naturally and humanly impossible. We will never know peace until we admit that it is naturally and humanly impossible. Secondly, we will never know peace until we realize that it has one exclusive source, that being Jesus Christ. Fourthly, we must be honest with ourselves about what we think we need to have to have peace. And fifthly, fourthly, we must be the ambassadors of the message and model of peace. If you're in darkness today, if you're in peacelessness, if you're in turmoil, I don't offer you any transformation in your circumstances. I offer you the transformation of your heart. And if your heart is transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, though your circumstances may not change, everything within you and around you will change on some level because when our heart changes, it changes how we see everything. Are you resting your hope in Christ and Christ alone? Are you experiencing the peace of God? of God that is found in Christ and Christ alone.